Blog Talk Radio. perspective 
of the woman who supposedly Emmett Till whistles at or aggressed towards. And what's different about this book versus all of the other books is that here we have a firsthand account of what really happened that day in that story. And that firsthand account comes from what was described as a young white woman, I believe she was 21 years old at the time, Carolyn Bryant, I believe it's her name. She's in her 80s now. And she actually says, confesses to the author of the book, actually happened that day. So stay tuned. We're going to talk about that. So you're listening to Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday. Try to get it on at 1230. I had it a a meeting this morning, so I'm running a little late, 1 o'clock, and that's going to be a short show today because I have another event to get to, but I could not let today go by without addressing this situation that happened with Emmett Till 60 years ago. Uh, a little bit more about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is and it really is. It's hard to believe it sometimes, but America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. And some of the ways we do it is with like shows like this with Our Own Voices Live. We're also, we have Our Own Voices, the print and digital uh, magazine, and hopefully we'll be getting another issue uh, out soon. Uh, we also have uh, our own voices on uh, Facebook, uh, Google+, Plus, uh, you name it, and you type in our own voices or our own voices live. But our own voices will help you find uh, the radio show and all of our other social media uh, products. Uh, we also have the Speak Up Network, uh, Brother Levon, hailing out of Be More with Real Radio, radio established to address life. Come to you every Saturday morning on the East Coast. I believe it's at 11 a.m. We have Brother Thomas Berry with Rant Radio up in the Twin Cities area. We also have Brother Franklin G. from KCEP, the power station, 88.1, locally here in Las Vegas. He has a Friday show called Like It Is Radio, and he also does a Wednesday night show at 6 p.m. local time called The Breakdown. Uh, Brother Jay Devon, who's had me on his show a couple of times at Las Vegas uh, Rocks Radio, uh, listen to that, brother. And what we just try to try to get the word out, get the story out, get our perspective out. You know, it's like beating a drum. Well, we're here to beat that drum so we can tell our story because nobody will tell our story like us. And this story is one that needs to be told and needs to be told again. And now that we have someone who is actually there, witnessed it, and is telling us what happened and what didn't happen, we need to tell it. So of our show today, Oh, and I'm your host, Rodney Smith. I'm in the air chair today. Uh, Emmett Till, injustice was done. A little background for those who may not know what happened with Emmett Till and who Emmett Till was and why he is so significant. But Emmett Till was a 14-year-old African-American teenager from Chicago. And Emmett Till to Mississippi to be with family during the summer, which is not out of the norm for young people who lived in the North. 
because, as Sam Smith would tell you, if you lived in Chicago, you probably came from Georgia, Mississippi, uh, or, or Louisiana. If you lived in New York, you probably came from North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Virginia, and with some from Georgia, too. Uh, Emmett Till had family. That's, that's where his family was from. And he visited his family. Now, let me, let me set this up for you. So Emmett Till, 14-year-old teenager, African-American teenager from Chicago, even though his mother was from Mississippi. But Emmett Till was from Chicago. Emmett Till went from Chicago to Mississippi in the 1950s. That means that it was the Jim Crow South. And for those who may not know what Jim Crow, Jim Crow was a set of laws known as the Jim Crow laws that basically separated black people from the rest of general society. Uh, things like having to sit in the back of the bus, uh, not able to come to the front door, having to go to the back door. You couldn't, basically, you couldn't associate with white people. You couldn't look at white people in the eye. That's right. You could not look at white people in the eye. In the, now, I'm telling you this not just from what I've read. I am now telling you this from what I have personally experienced. I live in the Jim Crow South. My family is originally from North Carolina, is where I grew up a portion of my life, but from a plantation in South Carolina. And in the summers, I would go to North Carolina, which where I lived in North Carolina was just above Myrtle Beach, just, just above the North Carolina, South Carolina line. But it was the Jim Crow South. And when I was there, I would be told, don't look, don't look at the white men. Don't look at, oh, and don't look at white women. As a matter of fact, as much as they insisted that I didn't look at white men, it was added emphasis on not to look at white women. Now, I was born, Emmett Till was older than me. Till had already been killed, murdered by the time I was born. But the legacy of Emmett Till's death was still very much alive because mothers, parents, they wanted their little black boys and girls, but there was something unique about black boys then as it is today. And we were, it was instilled in us, do not look at white women, do not talk white women. Basically, do not talk to white unless you have a need, unless they ask you something, or you just have to talk to white people. But just as important, do not look at white people, especially do not look at them in the eye. Even when you're talking to white people, do not look at white people in the eye. So what did that mean? So as I'm a young person living in New York, going down to Jim to the Jim Crow South, I had to change from what I was used to. Now don't get me wrong. Even in New York, though Jim Crow wasn't as obvious as it was in the South. 
there were still some nuances to how you dealt with white people if you were a black person, even in New York. But because I spent so much time in Carolina, it was not foreign to me. I knew it. I understand it. And contrary to what you may hear people say today, it wasn't that we thought it was a good thing. It was what was. And when something is what it is and it's backed by law, police, judges, jury, you want to survive. So how do you survive? You abide by the practices and the social norms of the day. So when I was in North Carolina and I was outside of my community, I walked amongst white people at a distance and with my head usually tilted down. And the reason why my head was usually tilted down was so there would not be even the illusion that I might be looking at a white person and definitely not looking in his face and in his eyes or looking at a white woman. As a matter of fact, you kind of turned away from white women. So contrary to popular belief that people think, well, black men always wanted white women, actually white women were an object to be fearful of. White girls, it was the same way. Oftentimes, if you knew that white women were around, you tried to go the other direction. That's right. That's how bad it was because you tried to do that so that there was no chance of you, as they would tell us then, eyeballing her. This is in my lifetime. Emmett Till came along before me. I lived for a while in North Carolina on the farm, rural south, right above the South Carolina line. And it wasn't nothing nice in Carolina, and it was nothing nice in South Carolina for black people. But these are things that you knew. It was a way that you lived. And and I'm, one of the reasons why I'm sharing this with you because I hear a lot of people say, well, nothing has changed today from back then, oh no, John Lewis is right about that. A whole lot has changed. Now Emmett Till had lived all of his life in Chicago, 14. He had been told what to do, what not to do. But here's another piece of the whole Emmett Till story. It doesn't really make a difference whether a black person did the right thing or not because it wasn't the black person did that was important. It wasn't what the black person said, acted, or thought that was important. The only thing that was important in the Jim Crow South when it came to black people's interactions with white people was what white people said. It was their point of view. Maybe you didn't move fast enough when they called you. And no, they didn't call you son. They didn't call you little boy. They called you nigger. And let me let us not get confused with semantics here. Sometimes they called you nigger, N-I-G-G-E-R. Sometimes they called you nigga, N-I-G-G-A. Sometimes they called you mig, that's N-I-G-G. They called you nigra, N-I-G-G-R-A. That was a popular one for those with heavy accents, especially when they had a chaw, a tobacco. That's right, I said chaw, not jaw, chaw, a tobacco. So when you hear people say, oh, well, it's different because it has an A and not an R, oh, no. You got called all of those things in the Jim Crow South. I've been called those things in the Jim Crow South. And there was no sense of endearment associated when those words were uttered out of 
white supremacists and racist white people in the Jim Crow South. Now, today I'm giving it to you raw. And I'm doing it because Emmett Till's mother, people to know the horrors of what happened to her son. 14-year-old teenager from Chicago goes in a store. It suggests that he was in the store less than a minute. Less than a minute changed his life to ending his life. Less than a minute. Supposedly in that time, he eyeballed and maybe aggressed and possibly touched, assaulted a white woman. And it was described a young white woman. And this is in the book. This new, newly released book, the the young white woman's words herself. The book is called The Blood of Emmett Till. And it's written by Timothy B. Tyson. I actually have a book review that will be uh, posted. already have it scheduled because I had already gotten the book review even before this article came out in the root. The Blood of Emmett Till by Timothy B. Tyson. And this book uses the words of that young white woman that supposedly was assaulted by Emmett Till or or eyeballed, depending on whose story you hear. Yes, things have changed. But I lived through it, and I survived it. So when people talk about how bad things are today, yes, they are bad. But let me tell you, from my experience, it's nowhere near as bad as it was. We still have a long ways to go, no doubt. But do not be fooled. Progress has been made. A lot of people have worked for that progress. And it's important that we acknowledge the efforts that were made, the sacrifices that were made for the progress that we have today. It's important to know that we've progressed. But during Emmett Till's time, which was just before my time, in the Jim Crow South, the way that we live today is not the way that we lived back then. The young boy from Chicago, the teenager, who went to visit family at his family's home in Mississippi, who was with friends, went in the store. That decision to go in the store at that particular time where there was a white woman in the store changed everything for him and his family. Many have said that the murder of Emmett Hill, I don't want to just call it a death, because, you know, death is bad, But death doesn't begin to describe what must have happened to Emmett Till before death relieved him of his suffering. Because after this alleged incident, this alleged Jim Crow crime, white supremacy, racism, in full effect, the man, and I believe it was her husband, That was with the young white woman because, you know, when you say young white woman today, but even more so in the Jim Crow South era, there was a certain gravitas associated with white woman, with white anything, white woman even more, but then young white woman, very vulnerable, very fragile. And, of course, black people, black men, black males, in the minds of the white man, always wanted his white woman, even if they were just a 14-year-old teenager visiting family for the summer. Whether it's a whistle, a cat call, or actually just looking, that was considered the rural South in the Jim Crow South ground for the taking of an individual's life. 
Emmett Till was taken to the edge of the city. For those who don't know the story, he was beaten. And when I say beaten, I don't mean where he was hit in the stomach a few times, maybe hit in the face a few times, which is bad enough because he's a 14-year-old child. And and I want to, I really want to be specific when I talk about Emmett Till because some people might can say, well, he is a 14-year-old black man. He was a young black man. No, 10 years old is a child. Hey, uh, my co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas is on. Let's bring her in to the discussion. Hey, Angela. Hey, hey, everybody. Good afternoon. Our own voice is live. You know, it's so, you know, it's touching to to talk about Emmett Till and the recent comments from Ms. Carolyn um, Bryant, Bryant, the young white woman that accused him of whistling. At her uh, last summer, I had the the pleasure to meet Emmett Till's cousin Solomon Bryant, who was carrying on with uh, Emmett Till's mother's work and continuing to keep Emmett Till's story in the forefront. And um, it's just such a a tough story for any Chicagoan, but to have an actual opportunity to talk with his cousin um who is working working on a movie and you know he came and spoke at my sister's school it was uh, actually how I had an opportunity to my sister had an opportunity to befriend him and just hearing from his lips what happened they literally came and got Emmett Till out of bed with him. And, you know, the rest we've heard of. But I, I will never forget having the opportunity to talk with him. And I'm so, you know, I, it's just I'm just heavy-hearted about the story of uh, Miss Bryant deciding all these years later to finally tell the truth on this poor 14-year-old who was doing nothing to no one, just visiting his family for the summer, uh, like so many of us have done throughout our history here uh, in America. Uh, I did not have the fortune of having a big mama or family in the South. My my great-grandmother was born in, in Chicago. Uh, but... I have so many I had so many peers, I have so many peers that spent the summer spent their summers down south like Emmett Till. So, you know, it it's still a a real story in our in our lives here. And it should stay a real story. This is one of those things where just like with the Jewish community, when they say never forget well, Absolutely. we should never forget what happened to Emmett Till because the title of our show is Emmett Till Injustice Was Done. Injustice Was Done. Because the people who abducted Emmett Till out of that bed, one of them was the husband of the young white woman, the 21-year-old white woman, Carolyn Bryant, and the other I believe was uh, the brother-in-law. Yeah. And these two men took it upon themselves to enact justice on a non-crime. Actually, it was his his half brother. Matter of fact, just let me give you the names because you 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 should know these names. J.W. Malam, J.W. Malam, and they say half-brothers, Roy Bryant, Roy Bryant. Now, Roy Bryant was the husband of Carolyn Bryant, the young white woman that supposedly Emmett Till, you know, they said he whistled at her. That, That was the original story. That's the story when I was a young boy. 
was Emmett Till went into the store. He went to get some bubble gum. He was with his friends. There was a white, a young white woman in the store. Originally, it was a teenage uh, girl, but it was a young white woman. This is the difference. Emmett Till, 14-year-old teenage boy, 21-year-old white woman with a husband that I don't know his age, but I'm guessing it was around the same thing as the woman's age. Emmett Till goes into the store to get some bubble gum. The husband, the husband of the young white woman, Carolyn Bryant, says that Emmett Till whistles, cat calls at his wife. Now, both of these men are dead. So there is no justice to be enacted upon them. Now, before they died, I don't know if everyone's aware of this, but they admitted to killing Emmett Till. But see, it just wasn't a killing. They beat Emmett Till. They beat him. They mutilated Emmett Till. They shot Emmett Till. After all of that, he wasn't dead, but they then shot him to death. And then they sunk his body in the local river. Think about so here's a 14 year old boy, two white men, adult men, take justice as they saw it, injustice is what I call it, into their hands to enact retribution for a teenage boy breaking one of their white supremacist, racist, Jim Crow laws of looking at their, a white woman and they said whistling at her. Now, all of us who grew up in the Jim Crow South knew that one of the things that you do not do is you do not look at a white woman. It just was not done. If a white woman even addressed you, and the same thing for a, a white man, but specifically for a white woman, if you had to talk to that white woman, your head was tilted down. Your eyes were cast down. And the reason why we did that was to let there be no doubt that you are the authority. You are higher than me. I am lower than you. I must submit myself to you. And I'm making sure for my own safety that I don't give off any indication that I might be looking in your face or looking in your eyes because part of the Jim Crow law was black people did not, you did not speak until you were spoken to. And whether you were spoken to or not, when you address a white person, if it was a man, it was sir, you could even, they even didn't mind boss. Many times with our, with our local dialect, we would say, uh, yes, yes, sir, would be yazza, yazza. That's, that's what the southern uh, rural dialect, uh, yasm. It could even be that. See, I'm, telling, I'm giving you firsthand experience now. This is not something that you have to read. This is someone who lived in the Jim Crow South. If a white woman addressed you, it was actually fear that welled up in you. Because the most dangerous person for a black person, and especially a black male in the rural South, was a white woman. That is the fact of it in the Jim Crow South. That is what I lived. Emmett Till 
was in what we call the dirty south. Right in the middle of the Delta. It didn't get no further south than Mississippi. Yeah. Emmett Till, 14-year-old boy, teenage boy from Chicago all his life. Now, it wasn't that the police arrested Emmett Till for breaking a Jim Crow law. Nope. Not what happened. It wasn't that he had a trial by an authorized jury of his peers. It was two white men, a part of the white supremacist racist system, that some of its structure is still intact today, that took it upon themselves to exact injustice on a 14-year-old teenage boy by the name of Emmett Till that they beat, mutilated, shot dead, sunk his body in a river, and went about their business. The book, The Blood of Emmett Till, has the words of Carolyn Bryant stating that what they What was said about Emmett Till simply did not happen. Now, this is important because the two men who did this are dead, but they admitted to doing it. But here is the woman herself, because a young white woman's words are impeccable, beyond reproach. She said it herself, Angela, that it didn't happen. Now, what you all may not know is that one of the reasons why she came forth was because she wanted her story, her life to be properly archived. And this particular author had written about another incident that happened later on, I think it was like about 15 years later. And Carolyn Bryant, the young white woman, not so young now, liked his writing and wanted him to be the one that told the world her story. Now, when she makes this confession, it's not through remorse. Now, she does say that when she lost her own child, she did reflect back on what it must have been like for Emmett Till's mother. She did say that. But she never really said she was sorry. What she did mention was that that's how it was. See, I think that's a cop-out. Dr. King, he told us, you know, it's always the time to do right. And these men, both of these men, eventually, they, they went to trial. Now, the reason why I went straight to they, didn't, they got arrested and blah, 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 and I went to they went to trial because then somebody had to refer them to, to a trial. The reason why that's significant is because in the Jim Crow South, you kill black people, just black people did. And if by chance, somehow, you were able to get an arrest, usually they would just let go. Not enough evidence to hold them, not enough blah, 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 right, or no referral. But these white men actually did go on trial, which was a big thing. It only took an hour for a verdict of innocence to come down on these two white men. The woman, the young white woman who was 21 years old, Emmett Till was a 14-year-old teenage boy, she didn't even testify. Basically, you had the two white men, the brother and the brother-in-law, excuse me, brother and half-brother, 
give their statement. The jury, the jury, it wasn't a jury of Emmett Till's peers. It was a jury of all men, all white men, all white men who believe in the Jim Crow laws of the day. And in their minds, obviously their minds, because they came back with a unanimous verdict of innocence. These two white men who abducted, beat, mutilated, killed, and then disposed of the body, which is a crime in itself, were set free after an hour's trial where the woman, the young white woman, never had to testify. Now, she did give a statement. And one of the reasons why they wanted that statement was for later on. But it wasn't used. Emmett Till's death did not have justice. The justice system failed. The country failed. The people failed. They tried to make Emmett Till's mother bury Emmett Till there in in Mississippi where this happened. They even had the grave dug, and she, you know, had to go through a tremendous amount of effort to reclaim the remains of her son, to have his body brought back to Chicago. Um, Just, it's so many layers to this story. It's, It's just so many layers to this story. If she had not decided to, if she hadn't fought the fight to get her son's body sent back to her in Chicago, where she made the decision to leave his casket open so that the world could see what had happened to her son. This case would have been like many others um, that happened in the South. It would have just gone away, faded into the dark history of African, you know, of African American men and, and women in the South that turned up dead for the color of their skin. See, Jim Crow laws, as we think of it, Jim Crow laws were dangerous to black people because black people had no standing. We had no agency. I remember, and I think I've shared this story before, of when I was a teenager in North Carolina, I was driving a white teenage girl's car, and she was in the passenger seat. Obviously, I'm in the driver's seat. And I'm going, I'm right above the South Carolina line. It's a town, one main street. I'm driving through it at night. Her best friend was my girlfriend, and she just happened to be in the back seat with my cousin. And we were pulled over by the local police. And Emmett Teal came to my mind with the quickness. I said a prayer. And the reason why I said that prayer is because I thought what happened to Emmett Teal was about to happen to me. Imagine the, the psychology of those of us who lived through those times, the fear that we had. Again, I lived through it. I wanted you all to hear me. I, I wanted you to hear someone who lived through the Jim Crow South. I wanted you to understand the intensity 
of it. I wanted you to know what it was like to walk around with your head down whenever white people were around. I wanted you to get a sense of my anxiety, my distress, when I knew a white woman was in the area. I also wanted to dispel the myth that black men had this great lust for white women because the last thing a black man or boy wanted to see in the Jim Crow South was a white woman because that was the time where for no reason, just like with Emmett Till, because we all heard the story, we can lose our life. I don't know if people quite understand that today. White women were, was a thing to be feared because it wasn't that the white woman had to say anything. It was simply the fact if, if you were a black person and you're walking down the street and you're walking normally and you see a white woman approaching, no, you didn't ogle her. But yet you put your head down, you, put, you cast your eyes down, and you move off of the sidewalk. As a matter of fact, if you could get to the other side of the street and turn away, that's what you did. That was how much fear there was of black males. And I was a boy of white women. Fear, not lust, fear. Because a white woman could cause you to lose your life like Emmett Till. A young white woman. The most dangerous creature on the planet for black people and specifically black males. That's right. I want you all to get that. Emmett Till lost his life because a white man saw Emmett Till too close to his precious young white bride, young white woman. Now, this, this book, and I hope you all will read the book. And it, Angela said something that I didn't, I, I want to reiterate. Because typically, when someone is disfigured in death, it's a closed casket. Emmett Till's mom had the forethought, foresight, to understand the power of the visual of her son. But also to see the brutality and the viciousness of the attack of her son which was to be representative of so many other black people whose crimes had gone unsolved. I posted the pictures on the show page, in the radio page, and I'm going to post some in the Facebook page of Emmett Teal before and after, before his death, and after his death. Normally, I do not post pictures of disfigurement, of violence, but it was important to Emmett Till's mother, and it really did change the nation. It didn't change him 100%, and it didn't change everybody. But, you know, you can tell someone what happened but it's something different when you see the pictures back then, like it is for us to see the videos today. Because there first of all, is. if you're a black person, nobody would believe you. Pictures yeah. didn't lie. Go ahead, Angela. I was just going to say there is a, a, a great documentary that was made in 2005, The Untold Story of Emmett Till, Emmett Lewis Till. Uh, please look that up. Also, there's a, a wealth of information on YouTube. Uh, regarding Johnson's publishing and and, and um, their decision to photograph Emmett Till for um, 
really for the world to see. It was it was shocking, and um, Johnson's Publishing broke um, sales records as well as broke new ground in um, photographing and publishing those pictures. And it's quite a story, quite a piece of history. Another reason why I wanted to do the show today is because Frederick Douglass, March, and so many others have shared with us that the March for Freedom is an unending march. And it's not just for freedom. It's for freedom. It's for justice. And don't confuse justice with equality and equality with justice because they're separate things. As a matter of fact, all three of those things, freedom, justice, equality, those are three separate things. We were freed from physical bonds, yes. And for a while, during Reconstruction, things were going fairly well. But it was a very short period of time before the Jim Crow laws were enacted. And those Jim Crow laws came with a vengeance, a vengeance that lasted, like I said, even through my young life. The mother wanted Emmett Till's casket to be opened. And there's pictures of her at the casket, the open casket, with her formerly handsome son. An only child. Emmett was her was her only child. Uh, she never had another child, and um, that, I mean, it's just heartbreaking. I'll never forget the pictures, and. I'll never forget his cousin being gracious enough to share the story with us of where um, Emmett, you know, what happened that that night in 1955, and um, you know, him picking up his his aunt's work and continuing it in her in her death. There's the Emmett Till Historic Intre- Intrepid Center. Um, it's a Glendella Museum. Glendella is the town where this 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 took place. Uh, the Emmett, there's also the Emmett Till Memorial Commission uh, to preserve his legacy. So you you can also look at uh, the work that's being done now and look at the work that has been done and you know continue to remember Emmett Till's story and and the legacy of of Jim Crow and you know in a lot of ways today it, it feels like we're in a scary time again this story should never die in the black community we we should continue to share with our young men and young women what happened it should never die in the white community, and we should never That's let it true. die in the white community. Because, it's so, see, Emmett Till did not kidnap himself. He did not beat himself. He did not mutilate himself. He did not shoot himself to death. He did not sink his body in the river to hide the grisly crime. White people did that. White society not every white person, but it was white society because that was the norm of white society. And a lot of that, the laws have been changed and Jim Crow laws have been struck down. It is the mindset of people. Now, keep in mind, Carolyn Bryant did not say she was sorry. She talked about it. but And, and I have the book review that will come out on February 1st. It's already scheduled, already programmed. So let's keep that in mind. Power is something that we need. The march for justice, the march for equality, 
the march for freedom should never end. And these are things, Emmett Till and the lesson, the story of the barbarity of Jim Crow should be taught in our schools. Many times you all have heard me say that we have to integrate and incorporate African slash African-American history and culture throughout all curriculum in all publicly funded schools, pre-K through 12th grade and colleges and universities because of things like this. Because if we don't show this, if we don't talk about it, it will be swept under the rug and people will say things like, well, really, it was just giving people jobs in Jim Crow. It was separate but equal. Did you understand when I said that the most fearful time in my life was when a white woman was approaching me? To this very day, I'm going to share something with you. I don't know if I've shared with anyone before. I like to go walking. I used to run when I was younger, but I, I go walking now. And I live in a predominantly white community. just happened that way. But when I go walking and I see a white woman coming towards me, I actually step into the street. I try not to let my head go down and for my eyes to drop. I try. I have to consciously do that because of growing up in the Jim Crow South, because it's still a part of me. The show today was called Emmett Till, Injustice Was Done. This is important, and we need to tell the story. If you can, read the book. If nothing else, read the book review that we're posting on February 1st to start off black history. The reason why I wanted to do that to start off black history is because we have to tell the good with the bad. It is one thing to talk about those of our ancestors, and of our people who have done great things. But we also have to talk about all of the bad things that were done to us and why some people still view us from that lens today and how hurtful it is to us. When I hear people talking about cruelty to animals, <laughs> I understand what they're saying, but some of those same people will be on Facebook and use language that is cruelty to African-American human beings. I posted a quote a few days back that says, if you love your country, then you must love your countrymen. And one of the reasons why I posted that quote was because I knew that Black History Month was coming. There was a few other reasons, too. And because I see the divide getting so much stronger in this country. And a lot of it is a political divide that does have some undertones of white and black. But it's a partisan political divide. And so there was no love with Emmett Till because he supposedly whistled at a young white woman, even though he was a 14-year-old teenage boy. Even if he did, is a whistle worth a death sentence? Not just a death sentence, but torture. Because when you're beat and mutilated, that is a form of torture. That wasn't anybody from Syria, Iran, Iraq, any place else in the Middle East. It wasn't Russia. That was white people in America. That was white people in America who said nigger, nigga, nigra, and nig. Let there be no mistake about that. As a matter of fact, the next time you all say that, think about Emmett Till. And think of, is that really a term of endearment? And can it ever be? Should it be? 
we've come to the end of our show today. Angela, did you have any, being a Chicagoan, did you have any words for us? Well, I just wanted to share um, a little bit of what his cousin said about his personality, who Emmett Till was. He was a jokester. He wanted to grow up and be a comedian. And he came down to, he arrived in Money, Mississippi. He left uh, 63rd Street train station on August 20th. 1955, he arrived in Money, Mississippi on August 21st to stay with his uncle, Moses Wright. Uh, for for uh, seven days, he picked cotton with his cousins and uncle um, and enjoyed time with his family. But his cousin wanted people to know that, you know, he was anticipating a future he had a great sense of humor. He was a prankster. He was always cracking jokes. And he wanted us to know that he loved his cousin. And when those two white men appeared at the foot of his bed that fateful evening on August 28th, um, they told him to stay in the bed, and they told Emmett to get up and put on his clothes. And they told his cousin that they would be bringing him back. As the sun rose on the on the farm, he knew in his heart that his cousin wasn't coming back. They weren't going to bring him back. And a few days later, white kids fishing found Emmett Till's foot floating, um, sticking up out of the water. At the time... There was urban myth that the NAACP had planted a body and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff saying that basically the black community had made this up and and it was the NAACP that was planning this story and perpetuating this uh, situation. He wanted us to, to know that and to remember that. Um, may he rest in peace and power forever and ever. Amen. May we never forget Emmett Till. Never. Never. And we have to tell a story. I was on a uh, Facebook page just the other day, and I had made another post on why it was important to teach African-American history and culture in school. And a white man called me a racist for wanting to teach lies to children that the things that we say about us, the only right thing is the white thing. And I thought about Emmett Till. I thought about how far we've come. But I've also thought about how far we still need to go. And I thought about how today there would be a jury, and we we see it today. And maybe this is what drives some of us who do some of the things that we do. Because we see some of the same behaviors of white people today that is equivalent to those white jurors who only took an hour to free those two white men who brutalized, kidnapped, mutilated, beat, tortured, killed, and then mishandled a human body. We see things today that remind us of it because we see similar things happening and people getting off for doing things like what happened to Emmett Till. Some people say, well, that was 60 years ago. No, that was the last time that a black person was falsely convicted. And then we found out, oh, well, through DNA testing, that never happened. No, he didn't rape her, especially if it was a white woman. Oh, no, he didn't rape her. It, it, it gets... It gets turned up every time that happens. 
when a black person that's unarmed, maybe even running away, like what happened recently, and gets shot in the back, when the police officer takes time to get in the shooting position to take aim and not fire a warning shot, but fires multiple times until it kills a person and then plant tries to plant evidence to make it look like that that person was aggressing to them. You see, for us, and I can tell you for me, who grew up in the Jim Crow South, it's like Emmett Till is happening today. I, that, that's all I can say. Yeah. See you next week. Have a good one.